Amen. Come on, give him a hand clap this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, glory to God. Well, look at your neighbor and say, did you wear that same shirt last week? No, tell them they look great. They look great. Hallelujah. Might have the same shirt on now. Think about it. Hallelujah. Have we got any Bibles out there? Electronic or good old-fashioned heart? Hold them up here. Let's, let's make the devil mad here. And the bookstore is glad. Hallelujah. Let's chop off some devil's heads. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 na. Do you kind of get it? This is a weapon, right? Then repeat after me. This Bible has the power to change my life, to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a truth detector, a sin deflector, a faith inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. Now, if you believe that, give Jesus a shout and a hand clap. Amen. Hallelujah. As you heard on the video, Pastor John's in D.C. this weekend, so be praying for him and his, his family, and I have the opportunity to share a message with you this week entitled Operation SOS. Okay, SOS is the international uh, distress call. It came about by the Germans in 1905, and it didn't really, SOS doesn't mean anything. They were just trying to find the Morse code letters that were easy to remember. So it was dit, 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 da, 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 dit, dit, dit. Something like that. But it started to become more widely known, maybe 1907 or so. And then it began to get names kind of attached to it, like Save Our Ship or Save Our Souls. So this message is Operation SOS, Save Our Souls. God save our souls, first of all. And save the souls of our city, of America, our friends and families, that we be more aware of souls out there. Matter of fact, the ship, the Titanic, was one of the first ships to actually use the SOS distress signal. First it was the CDQ, CDQ, I believe, and then they went SOS, SOS. And they were sending out a distress signal. And as you know, on April 14, 1912, that ship, that shipbuilder said, was unsinkable, ended up hitting an iceberg and going down. And 712 people survived that disaster, but 1,496 people perished in those cold waters. One of those that perished was a preacher by the name of John Harper. And four years later, at a Bible conference in the city of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, a man stood up and gave this following testimony. And these are his words. Four years ago, when I left England on board the Titanic, I was a careless, godless sinner. I was in this condition on the night when the terrible catastrophe took place. Very soon, with hundreds more, I found myself struggling in the cold, dark waters of the Atlantic. I caught hold of something and clung to it for dear life. The wail of awful distress from the perishing all around was ringing in my ears. When there floated by me a man who too seemed to be clinging to something. He called to me, Is your soul saved? I replied, No, it is not. Then he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. We drifted apart a few minutes. Then we seemed to be driven together once more. Is your soul saved? Again he cried out. I fear it is not, I replied. Then if you will but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, your soul shall be saved. Was his further message of intense appeal to me. But again we were separated by the rolling currents. I heard him again 
Call out this message to others as they sank beneath the waters to eternity. There and then, with two miles of water beneath me, in my desperation, I cried unto Christ to save me. I believed upon him, and I was saved. In a few minutes, I heard this man of God say, I'm going down, I'm going down, then, no, no, I'm going up. That man was John Harper, and I am John Harper's last convert. True story. You know, April 12th is significant to me, or April 14th, to my life too, because it was April 14th, 1984, that I gave my life to the Lord. I mean, it didn't feel like my ship was going down, but I realized I was lost, and it, because I was in a chapel service before a, pro, before a pro football game, and a man asked me one simple question, if I died today, would I go to heaven or hell? And I thought, wow, that's a good question. I say, maybe I do more good than bad, maybe I can talk my way in. I didn't know. And then he explained what I was told were the four spiritual laws. God loved me and had a plan for my life. Because of my sin, I'm separated from God. Has anybody sinned? We all sin. The third thing, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and through him I can only experience God's love. And I knew those through Sunday school because I was always in church when I grew up. Even though I got to college, I went off track and didn't go that way. But the fourth thing, I never heard. He said, you have to individually ask Christ into your life and begin to follow him. And that's the thing I was never challenged to do. And I said a prayer, and that day my life changed. Now, there's kind of a thing going around the Internet right now. A preacher's wife made a comment about how God just wants you happy, and it's all about us, and, and I'm not even going to get into that part, but I want to think a minute. I think when you look in the Scripture, there's a little more than just us being happy. A matter of fact, I believe the Apostle Paul would say, hey, it's not about us, it's about him. It's about reaching the lost. Yeah. You know, it's about uh, owing our lives to Jesus Christ who died for us. A matter of fact, uh, when you look at Paul's life and you read his, in his word, 2 Corinthians 11, 24, let, let's decide if we think he was happy or not, okay? From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day, I have been in the deep. He's probably singing, because I'm happy, clap along if you think beating rods is lots of fun. Clap. My son warned me not to do that, but I had to try it anyhow. <laughs> I should listen to him. It goes on, in journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things what comes upon me daily. And after all that, he made this statement, my deep concern is for all the churches. He was concerned that the church kept the main thing the main thing, that the church realized it wasn't what happens in here, it's what happens when we get outside of these four walls, that it's about souls, it's about heaven and hell, and we need to tell people about it. So I begin to think about what is God's wish list? I mean, does He wish we were happy? Well, there is a scripture that says in 3 John uh, 1 and 2 that God wishes we'd prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. So we just have to have a biblical definition of prosperity. But listen to what he wishes here in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but all to come to repentance. So he wishes no, nobody had perished. He didn't make hell for us. It was for the devils and the demons that disobeyed him. But if you don't choose to follow him, that's where you're going to end up. 
But he says he wishes that none should perish. But part of that, you have to come to repentance. Not just say a prayer and go on living your life the same way, but actually repentance. You know, Jesus in Luke 13, the chapter starts where he's being asked some questions. And some other people asked him, they said, hey, these Christians that were murdered by Pilate, and Pilate is mixing their blood in with his sacrifices, were these worse sinners than other Christians? Was basically the question. Jesus came back with a quick response. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. And then he takes some from the current events, maybe from the Jerusalem Gazette, and he says, hey, you know the story right now, that, that tower of Siloam fell on 18 people and killed them? Do you think they were worse sinners? He asked them that. And then he responded back. He said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Another one of God's wish lists, Revelation 3.15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, but I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. It's kind of a shame sometimes some of the false religions and the terrorists are more passionate about what they believe than Christians are. And we have the truth. We have the answer for eternal life. And yet there's people doing suicide bombs and stuff, willing to give their life. But we go through life, honestly, pretty. I know my life, pretty selfish. You know, sometimes lukewarm is a description of just being comfortable, of not concerned about anybody else but me and me, just my own personal happiness. And I think there's a lot of people in church. And the reason I can tell you this is because this was me for a couple years. A lot of people in church just add Jesus to their life. They want to make him safe. They want a spare tire in the back in case they get in trouble so they can get him to help him out of it. And we go on with our life, but we have Jesus kind of in the back seat. Jesus, just stay back there. If I need you, I'll let you know. You know, give me some direct. But we don't let him behind the steering wheel to lead our life. And, you know, right now, car uh, manufacturers are actually discussing whether they should not put spare tires in cars right now. First, the cost factor. It costs them money to put a spare tire in. It's more weight, so it costs you more fuel, and they're trying to get their fuel savings down. And here's the third reason, that peop most people don't know how to change a tire anymore. And that literally, they call the tow trucks. And so that's part of it. And I kind of wonder, as far as Christianity, do you really know what it needs to be saved? How you, do you have the ability to lead somebody to Christ, to tell them the good news of the gospel? Or is Christ just sometimes kind of like a spare tire we carry around? He was in my life. I wanted a Savior. I wanted some fire insurance. But He was never my Lord. He was never my Master. I didn't turn and begin to follow Him until a couple years later. The Bible says unless you repent. Repent means you're going one way. You stop. You say, God, I am sorry. There's repentance. And you turn. There's remorse. And you go another direction. I'm not saying you go perfect. You might trip and fall up several times like I did. But you get up and you're heading back toward the cross. Are you saved? There should be some fruit in your life. We were in Dallas last weekend, had the opportunity to take the weekend off. We spent some time with our kids. But on Sunday, we went to the Gateway Church, uh, Robert Morris, and we have some of his videos we play here. But he shared his testimony. The message was entitled Room 12, which was the motel room he got saved in. And I'm thinking, okay. I always like to hear Robert Morris, but it's going to be his testimony, and, you know, maybe that'll just be so-so. But I'm telling you, it was powerful. And at the end of that message, literally hundreds of people came to the altar to give their life to Christ. Not playing games. I mean, they really came down. 
It was a powerful message. But basically, without sharing his whole testimony, he was in a Baptist church, and for whatever reason, he wasn't in Sunday school that day. He came down with his parents and was in the big service, and communion came by. And so here comes the communion, and he sees this for the first time, and he's thinking, crackers, grape juice? I like grape juice. He said, man, the, the adults get snacks during their service. He said, this is exciting. So he goes to reach for the snacks, and his dad kind of stops him. He says, no, you can't have communion unless you're saved. So he says, whoa, I need to get saved. Did I get saved? I can have snacks. So he just, this register. And he, said, and he asked his dad, he said, well, the preacher talked to you afterwards. Preacher talks to him. He says a little prayer. Next Sunday, he stands before the church, gives his profession of faith. But it was all about the juice and the crackers. And a matter of fact, he got into high school, got bad. And here's, the, here's what he said. My will was never changed. My will, my, his will against his parents was like this. And if it's that way against your parents, it's that way against God. And his will never changed. And he got involved in drugs, illicit lifestyle. But yet an evangelist saw an, a gifting in him and just began to kind of speak into his life and had him travel with him. And before you know it, he was sharing his testimony before youth groups, doing little messages. But yet he had a double lifestyle. He was living one way and telling these youth something else. And on one of these trips, he was in a hotel in room number 12, and there was a traveling evangelist that was along that time and, and asked if he could talk to him in that hotel room. He said, you know, Robert, I kind of see where you're sharing this testimony, how you were saved at eight, but then I hear about your lifestyle, something just not adding up here. And he really shared the truth with him. And that day, Robert Morris got saved, turned and began to follow Christ. And you know the results of one of the largest churches in, in Dallas area. And just a powerful man of God. But there was a change in his life. You know, sometimes I think maybe some of us are at times in our life, maybe we signed up to this thing called Christianity under false pretenses. You know, we just thought, well, it's going to make my life better, so I'll try it. And then we get frustrated. And when we don't understand the part that it says in Matthew 13, 42, it talks about hell being a fire of furnace where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know, I think Ray Comfort shares a great story. Maybe you've heard it. But basically, a stewardess on an airplane is given a parachute to two different men. She gives a parachute on an airplane, a jetliner. She gives it to one man, and she hands him the parachute and says, this is going to make your flight more comfortable. This will make a better flight. And he kind of feels it. He said, this is heavy. And he kind of struggles to put it on, and he puts it on, and he can't even lean back. And he says, this is not comfortable. And then about that time, somebody spills coffee on him. Somebody steps on his toe, and he says, man, this is not making things better. He takes it off and throws it on the ground. So now the stewardess goes to another man. She hands him the parachute, and she says, sir, we're having mechanical problems with our engine. When we hit 25,000 feet, we're all going to have to exit the plane. Now, he puts it on. He doesn't notice the weight of it. He's holding on like this is a precious thing. As a matter of fact, when somebody spills coffee on him and steps on his feet, he says, man, at least this flight's not going to last much longer. <laughs> you know, it's our perspective. And I'm telling you, sometimes as Christians, we say, oh, I just, I just want to add Jesus. He can make my life better, and it's all about me. Well, let's look at the Apostle Paul. It depends on our perspective, isn't it, whether we're happy or not. Acts 26, and before I even read this, the scenario is Paul is already two years in jail. He's in jail two years. Now we come to this verse. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, 
Well, I'm happy because I finally get to share my testimony before the king said, okay. I'll just keep that for the shower from now on, all right? But think about that. He's happy, even though he's in prison, because he knows he's being, his steps are being ordered by God. He knows he has the gospel of the good news on his feet, and he's going to share before kings and people. And when you look at Paul's letters, a lot of times he starts his epistles with Paul, a debtor to Christ. Paul, a slave of Christ. He lived his life like he owed Christ something. Do we really live our lives like we owe Christ everything? We owe Him our souls and our life. We're just on this earth passing through. We're slaves for Christ. Maybe we ought to live our life like heaven is for real and God's not dead. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. He came to save the lost. Let's talk about the lost a little bit. Okay, when you look at Acts 26, Paul's sharing his testimony. He's talking about the bright light. They all fell on the ground. He hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus begins to tell him that he's going to be going to the Jews and the Gentiles. And we'll pick it up in verse 18. I got more notes, uh, more of these scriptures in my notes if you want to get them offline a little later in the week. Verse 18. Jesus tells them, this is what I want you to do. I want you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision. I mean, he's following through on this, this mandate by God. But declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works fitting of repentance. That there ought to be a change. Like Zacchaeus, he was stealing from people. He was a tax collector. He got saved, and he turned and actually began to give money back to the other people. Fruit. Fitting of repentance. Here's some common things about the lost, and we need to be aware. Take the word lost, four letters. The letter L stands for loss of sight. Say loss of sight. If you're not saved, people that aren't saved, they cannot see. The Bible says they're in darkness. That's why Paul needed to turn them from darkness to light. But look in 2 Corinthians 4. 4. In their case, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of Christ Jesus. We need to pray for their eyes to be opened. But first, we need to pray as a church that God open our eyes to see the harvest. Because Jesus said the fields are white to harvest. They're ripe. That was 2,000 years ago. What's it like now? 2 Corinthians 4, 2. We need to declare to these people, let there be light. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to do with this light? Keep it hidden under a bushel, under a basket? We're to let it shine. So they've lost their sight. The O in the word lost stands for offer hope. We need to offer these people hope because they're in darkness. There's people out there that are struggling, that they're, they're asking these questions. It says in Joel, uh, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. They're walking around, why am I here? What's going on? Isn't there more to life? We have the answers. We have that hope we need to give them. Colossians 1.27, Christ in us, the hope of glory. There should be some hope in us that comes out just in our conversation, in our life. And here's one thing I believe is common among people that aren't saved. They have no peace. Isaiah, I believe it's 57. 
that the wicked have no peace. And we think, well, I'm, I'm least not wicked. I might not be saved. Well, you know, when you get in the Bible, it's one or the other. You look in Proverbs and Psalms, it lists, I don't know how many verses, the righteous and the wicked, the righteous, and it makes comparisons. I mean, it's black or white. It's saved or not saved. It's heaven or hell. It's, you're a saint or an ain't. You know, we have some ladies, one that sang up here, that go to the jail down to Bowie County. And the thing they, they, they say pretty much across the board, these ladies in jail have no hope. They are just hopeless. They've lost their families. You know, they've lost their children. They've lost everything. And they just are, they're just like, they have no hope. But these ladies come in first with the light of the gospel. And then they share the good news that, hey, you know, there's a God that loves you, a God that can still use you right where you're at, whether you're here two days, two years, or the rest of your life. There's a God that can redeem all the things the enemy stole from you, that you still have a purpose here. They give them hope. What about when that person, family member, unsafe friend, comes to you and they say, I mean, we just got a bad doctor's report. You have the ability to give them hope. That when we got a God that heals, we got a God that can do miracles, you know, no matter what happens, we got a God that will go with you through that storm, just like he did our pastor's wife who had cancer. Or maybe your testimony, whatever it is. Or maybe there's somebody hooked on, they're in bondage, of drugs, alcohol, anger, whatever it may be. And you can give them the hope that Jesus is the deliverer. That way we have, a, we have something special on Friday nights called Celebrate Recovery, where people share how Christ has set them free from these addictions. Whatever it may be. Got to offer them hope. But you can't just tell them about the love of God. You've got to show them the love of God. And the S in the word lost stands for serve them. Say serve them. The word ministry in the Greek literally translates to serve. When you're a minister, you're a servant. We're to serve. We're to minister to them. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He gave His life as a ransom for many. We need to minister to them. We need to serve them. We need to help them. We need to do random acts of kindness. I mean, we need to find a need and meet it. That's it. That's, that's what evangelism is. When I use this word evangelism, that's what we're talking about, reaching the lost by any means possible. You know, we got ladies that can crochet. And, so what, and they, have a, they realize there's a need of women that go through chemotherapy that need a turban or something for their head. So they take this and meet that need and share the gospel in the process. I mean, just ask the Lord how you can meet somebody's needs. They're all around us, needy people. This week, about Wednesday, you know, I knew I was going to be preaching this weekend. Matter of fact, this whole month we have it kind of, uh, our goal is to just to be aware of souls. So it's kind of a month of evangelism. Okay, and I knew I was starting off next week. We got an evangelist coming in that's real tied in with the God's Not Dead, the book and the movies, has campus ministry all over. He's doing a seminar next Saturday and preaching the three weekend services. Pastor Travis will preach the next week another message. And then the fourth week, Pastor John's going to do a message. And we need to invite, invite, invite in the meantime because it's going to be about the prodigal son. It's going to be about God's love. How many know some prodigal sons that need to come home? It's going to be a great time to invite and get him here that week, and, and we'd be praying and believing for people to be saved. But this week, I'm working on trying to get my message, and I'm not really clicking what to do. I'm around the church. I said, I've got to get some inspiration. So I said, I'll just get in my car behind the wheel. I just get behind the wheel of a car, and I can just kind of be a little more thinking or creative and drive around. And so I get to my car, fired up, and I'm getting ready to head out Powerhouse Exit, and I see a man walking with a gas can. I said, Oh, Lord. 
See, I'm real task-oriented. I got, I'm on a mission. I'm going to get there. Nobody's going to interrupt me. And, uh, but I'm thinking, okay, i got to do the right thing here. The guy, and I see him stop and talk to somebody else. I say, whoo. But the other guy couldn't help him, so he's still walking. So I leave out the other entrance. I circle around. I come out this entrance so I don't have to talk to him. Just be truthful. And I'm heading down Mall Drive thinking, okay, that, that won't slow me down any. And I feel this, okay, Lord. And I had this thought, though, thank God Sean had just gotten some gas, and I knew there was five gallons of gas behind Powerhouse, so I said, this won't take too long. And so I stop, and he says, yeah, I need some gas, man. My wife is just a crazy driver. I don't know what she hit this time, but it poked a hole in the gas tank, and it leaked out, and she's over there behind the park. I said, okay, well, we got some gas here. We'll get it for you. And then he takes off walking. I said, oh, wait a minute. We'll, you know, we'll give you a ride, too. And so he gets in. I'm thinking, okay, could this be a God opportunity, maybe? I mean, I'm trying, maybe I ought to practice here when I'm getting ready to preach or something. And I give him a ride, and I'm not a lot of time to get to Spring Lake Park, but we kind of talk a little about church, and I asked if he goes to church anywhere, and he said a wife goes to a Korean church, and, and I could kind of feel like maybe he's not that involved. Uh, so I just kind of said where I went to church, and he said, oh, man, I've been thinking about that. And I said, well, you know, come. And I, so basically invited him to church, and boom, we're there. And he says, thanks, and, and it's kind of all over. And so I'm driving away thinking, man, did I miss an opportunity? Should I have gotten a little more bold and ask him some serious questions? But anyhow, I'm back on my mission. So I, I'm running my errand. I go into the store, get my stuff, and I come out. And I go to get in my car, and across the street, somebody's running toward me. And the closer they get, they realize it's a young black man that's at least 240, very athletic, and he's running toward me. And I'm thinking, you know, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> he's definitely bigger than me. And then he's, he's yelling something. And he says can I use your phone? My phone's dead. Can I use your phone? And I'm thinking, okay, what is the phone scam going on right now? And, you know, what do I, you know, but I, I'm not feeling threatened. You know, I've, you know, I can tell that he's a sharp young man. And so he gets a little closer. Hey, can I use your phone, man? I, I need to call my girlfriend and get a ride. And I kind of, okay. And give him my phone. He calls, no answer. So he said, let me call my grandma. And so he calls her and no answer. So now I'm thinking, okay, Lord. And I said, well, where were you going to? Maybe I can give you a ride. And when he, he said, Sunset Apartments. And when he said, Sunset Apartments, I go, okay, okay, this is God. Because that's where we do our Sidewalk Sunday School. And we're getting ready this next week to go out there and do Sidewalk Sunday School. So I said, okay, Lord, here we go. And I said, hey, hop in, we'll give you a ride. He said, oh, man, I appreciate it. And we're talking, kind of getting to know each other. And um, how he's from Camden, he's in the area for whatever reason. And so we're talking, and then I finally realized, okay, this time i got to ask. I said, and I just said, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question? He said, oh, go ahead. He said, if you died today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? He said, ooh, that's a good question. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I just kind of let it simmer just a little bit. And I just went on to say, and I shared my story, how somebody asked me that question and how, uh, you know, I realized I had to ask Christ into my life. And I just shared that just very... Uh, you know, not pressured at all, and we talked about some other things, and I felt some kind of prophetic things like, you know, I really feel like you're at a real crossroads in your life as far as making decisions, you know, as far as school and what you're going to do, and I really feel like the enemy's really trying to get you off course, and he's going, oh, oh, yeah. And so we get to our destination. He gets ready to get out, and I could have just left it at that, and I figured, okay, we've got to set the hook here. We've got to get that net out there. And, just, and I say, hey, I don't want to pressure you at all, but you know what I told you? I said, would you want to say a prayer and ask Christ in your life? He said, man, just lead me. Show me how. And so I just said a prayer, he prayed it after me, and I'm telling you, it was just that simple. And which brings me to the next point. The letter T stands for tell them. 
See, at some point, you can love them, you can serve them, you can, you can do all you want and let your light shine, but somebody has to tell them. Romans 10, 13, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save Him unless they believe in Him? How can they believe in Him unless they've, unless they've heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? I send you in the name of Jesus. Amen? What were the last words? Sometimes well, I'm waiting for a word from God. Well, the last words He spoke was said, Go and tell all the world. It's a great commission, not the great omission. We need to go. That's, we don't have to pray about that. Those were his last words. Go and tell. I'm preaching to me. He's trying to stir me up too. And then it says, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It says it in Isaiah 52 too, the mountains of the feet. How blessed are the feet that share the good news. You know, I feel like at times, and I might be at a season right now where I've lost my first love. Just being honest. I'm mean, real, you know, I really get excited about souls and speaking to young people and people that are lost. And sometimes you can just kind of get involved in the church world or just in, involved in the church business and just kind of, kind of lose that fire. You know, I was thinking back, and here's a way. God always has a way of reminding me when I get distracted, you know, or rewarding me when I'm faithful or resuscitating me when I'm dead or cold. He has a way of doing it. Back in the early 90s when I was doing youth ministry, kind of at a, a, what I consider kind of a peak in my life, and our youth ministry was really going good, and we were just, we were, I was going to street ministers' conferences, I'd come back, I'd get the youth excited, and we'd go, and we'd be praying, we'd do street evangelism, we'd do dramas, and then they would inspire me, and it was just kind of a momentum going back and forth. And it even translated my personal life. I was just very aware of souls and trying to witness to people and just, you know, just trying to share the good news whenever I could. And you know where it says, blessed are the feet of those who spread the gospel? God literally blessed my feet. I mean, I was given shoes a lot, brand new shoes out of nowhere. And it was just one of those. It was just kind of, a, God was saying, you're doing good. I'm blessing your feet. Because, you know, when you're a youth minister and you kind of want to, you know, dress a little like them, you know. And I mean, like our drummer, Brian, Brian he always wore Z Cavaricci jeans. So I had to get some Z Cavaricci jeans. But we had a young man working at Dillard's, and he brought me this brand new box of uh, tennis shoes. Brand new, brand new. No, somebody brought them back or what? But they were Reebok pumps. I'm telling you, these were the thing. You punch that little thing, man, anybody can dunk a ball. You just pump them up. They just do something supernatural. And I'm telling you, Dominic Wilkins wore those in 1989. In 1991, D. Brown entered the uh, all-star dunk competition and won the all-star dunk competition in a pair of those. And right before his big final dunk, he'd get down there and the crowd go, they just go crazy. I'm telling you, God just had a way of just kind of just rewarding me. He's a good father. He, wants, he said, come on, you can do it. Yeah, that's it. Keep it up. Or maybe a little spanking. Come on, come on. Get on, get on course here. He's a good father. You know, even... Jay Threadgill was here a couple weeks ago. Uh, me and Guy kind of have this thing, and I kind of keep track in my journal. But when there's missionaries or just good soil, I try to plant seed other than my, my tithe. I just want to plant some seed. Because what do you do when you plant seed? Man, you get harvest back. And God just, I don't know how many notes I have in my journals over the years. When I give a seed, especially to a missionary, I'd get it back like almost immediately. 
But I was writing in my journal, God, should I give this amount? To, and I already know the answer, but should I give this to Jay Threadgill? I wrote yes, no, circled yes, you know, like, okay. And I already knew it, but I wanted to make note of that. But when I circled yes, I just had that thought for a minute. Like, okay, God, how are you going to do this this time? Like, where's it going to come from? I just, and it just passed and on with service. Service is over. I'm back in my office talking to my wife, trying to decide where we eat, you know, making those important decisions that we're getting ready to make any minute now. And I said, oh, by the way, I sowed some seed into Jay Threadgill's ministry for this amount. She said, really? She reaches in her pocket, pulls out that exact amount of cash, say, somebody just gave this to me in the hallway, and said, go take your husband to McDonald's and get something to eat. <laughs> now, he could take a whole bunch of us to McDonald's. But I'm telling you, God just had that way of just, hey, you're on course. Do these things. You can't outgive me. Amen. God wants us to wear the shoes of the readiness of the gospel. That's what it says in Ephesians 16, having our shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He wants to be ready to move where we move. And plan on your life getting interrupted. I'm sure Paul had an evangelistic plan to reach the lost, but his evangelistic plan got interrupted in jail. But it didn't interrupt God's evangelistic plan, did it? At all. We've got to be ready for those little... I'm telling you, see, when I ran that errand that day, where I was going to was the mall, to GNC to get some vitamins. And see, when I go to the mall, it's to buy something. It's not to shop and look. I don't know what shopping is. Shopping to me is you go and buy something and you go home. It's not like you walk around and look. And so I'm in there and I'm going to get out, except for the smell of the pretzel place. That kind of distracted me a little bit. I walked by twice. I still didn't bow my knee to it, though. But I come out of that place into the parking lot, and here's this guy running across did, 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 da, 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 SOS, save my soul, please. It was literally like that. And how many other people are actually saying that? You know, help me. I, I need something more than a ride to get somewhere. Because here's the thing the enemy has going for him. You know, his tool is deception. That's all he can do is deceive us and try to blind us with lies and all that stuff. Like before I got saved, oh, you're just going to be a part of the God squad. You don't want to do that. People will think you're a Jesus freak. You're, you're not going to have any friends in you. All those lies. And it's like, okay, so you're saying, devil, I should hold on to this dirt and not trade it in for the diamonds? Hold on to these rags and not trade it in for riches? Somehow he deceives us like that. And that's why we not got to bring the truth of the gospel, the belt of truth, the sword of truth, and bring the light of, the, of God to them. You know, I've got a whole other part. I'm just, you're going to have to go to the notes. I've got every Ten Commandments listed. We were going to go through the Ten Commandments. Ray Comfort says the Ten Commandments are like ten cannons that point at us. And I'm telling you, you start looking at each one of those from start to finish. No gods before you. Sometimes I wonder how much my TV's a god that I bow down every night to. You know, whatever it is. No graven images. You know, don't we make our own gods? Well, a, a little white lie is all right. It's just a fib. We just created our own god. And I could, we could go on and on. I, th I think this guy has a track that's like, a, he offers people a million dollars if they've never broken one of the Ten Commandments, and he'll go through one by one. I mean, we all get to thou shalt not murder, and we say, ooh, we made it by on that one. What does Jesus say? Jesus warned us, if we get angry without cause, we're in danger of judgment. If we hate our brother, he calls us a murderer. We won't even get into the lust thing, what he said about that. And then you can go to James 2, where it says, whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one little point, is guilty of breaking them all. So now, even if you thought you made it through the ten, if you did anything, you just broke them all. Have we all sinned? Do we need a Savior? Did He pay the price? 
Amen. You know, there's a little girl watching a sheep eat grass. And she looks at that little sheep and she says, Man, that thing is white. I mean, standing against that grass. And then it snows. Now all of a sudden, that little white sheep is looking dirty because it's against this pure white snow. You know, all dependent on the background. You know, when we kind of compare our lives to the background of what we think is right and wrong, it, and, and compared to other people, it might look pretty good. But when we compare it against God's law, His commandments, which we all will stand before God and be judged, not based on what we think, but what He says in this Word, we're going to be judged by. That's why I don't want to be deceived. And I'm preaching this to me, to, like a wake-up call. Because I don't know about you, but I think America, either we're getting ready to hit the iceberg or we already hit it. I think we're going down. There's not much time left. If 2,000 years ago Jesus said He's coming back soon, I believe we're not in the last hour, we're in the last minutes. And we need to win as many as possible before it's too late. You know the one problem with the doctrine, once saved, always saved? And I'm not even going to get into yes or no, because I have ridden with seasoned men, like in their 70s and 80s, that have seen books this thick on one side and this thick on the other side. I mean, you can go either way. But here's my problem. Were you ever saved in the first place? That's when it becomes a problem, a big problem. If you think that little, like Robert Morris, that little prayer he said just to get some communion and live his life the same way was enough, or just joining a church or getting baptized, doing those acts, man, there needs to be some sort of change in your life. Let's go back to Titanic as we close. I think there'll be a picture up here on the back screen. This is by William Booth. Anyone know who William Booth is? Founder of Salvation Army. This was a picture he had of the church. And I think Keith Green uh, Ministries ended up doing this portrait. But that's kind of a picture of the church up there. We're doing our thing. And people lost in the ocean dying. But oh, we're praising and worshiping. That's me and my old ponytail back there fishing over there on the side. But think about the Titanic a minute. First of all, no video recorders. Nobody has cell phones to be able to record what was going on. But yet from those over 700 survivors, we have some pretty accurate account of what took place. As a matter of fact, there's accounts of John Harper, the preacher, witnesses some, witnessing to somebody on the deck before the ship ever struck the iceberg. And we don't know whether they accepted Christ and went to heaven or hell, but he was witnessing somebody. And then once the alarms went off and that ship was starting to go down, the first thing John Harper did was take his young daughter, Nana, to one of the captains and say, I need you to get her on a lifeboat. And got her on a lifeboat. As a matter of fact, she was one of the survivors. She went back to Scotland, married a preacher, and did many years of ministry. And then at that point, he's urging the women and the children and the unsaved to get on lifeboats. He's discouraging the saved to get on lifeboats because they already have the answer to eternal life. And he's wanting to make room for the unsaved. So you can imagine he didn't get on a lifeboat. As a matter of fact, he's wearing a life vest at the time. He realized somebody he's talking to needs it more than him. He gives his life jacket to somebody else. And then as that, wa that boat is going down, two miles of icy cold water, and it's heading to the bottom, and he's floating around out there, and it's consistent with every survivor that there were just a roar of the screams of the perishing. But yet he didn't have time to scream because he was too busy telling people, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. As we close, how many in this room feel like maybe you've been a little selfish in your Christian walk? Let's be honest with the Lord. How many would like God to open your eyes to be able to see the harvest? Open your eyes to see the lost. How many would just want more of a, more of a passion for souls and lost people? Hold up your hands. Let God know. 
How many in this room, if you're asked this question, if you died today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? If you don't know the answer to that, would you hold your hand so we can say a prayer for you? You're not sure where you'd spend eternity? I see your hand. Anybody else? You're not sure where you'd spend eternity? You? Anybody else? Or maybe you just, man, I just, there hasn't really been a change. I've said a prayer, but I need a change to happen today. Can I see your hand before we go? Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close. I'm just going to say a prayer over you. But I want our altar team to come up here. If you raised your hand, I want you to come up and really believe. Really ask God to forgive you. Really ask God to turn and, and help you turn and follow Him. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but you've got to make some steps yourself. I would get in church and come consistently. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. You know, we've got a book in there. That if you'd read that book about a new life with Christ, I mean, if you want to have a class, Pastor Travis or me will meet with you the next, uh, next week during the message and just go over what it takes to be a Christian. I tell you, if you take a couple steps, God will help you in this thing. Amen? Let's stand on our feet. People are already coming forth. We'll begin to sing. If you raise your hand uh, for getting things right with God, come up. We've got some material we want to give you. We want to pray with you. But if you have need for anything else, and here's something I really feel. There's people in this room, you, you love Jesus, but you continue to struggle. One of your answers could be, because in my life, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. I prayed for the baptism, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I got a power to be first be a witness, and I got a power to start saying no that I didn't have a power to before. And so if you just want more power in your life, come let somebody pray for you. If you still had a prayer need, sick in your body, whatever. But let's just sing a, a, just a verse or two and let people respond to the altar, and I'll dismiss you in just a minute. And even though I walk through the valley, of the shadow of death.